This is the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie, and Huskers Radio Network analyst, Jeremiah Searles. Well, happy Halloween. Welcome into another edition of the Sideline Slice, a Halloween edition. I'm disappointed you didn't have your hot dog costume on, Jeremiah. Hey, you know what? We're kind of in a morning over here because the weather's really hot, so the deer aren't running around. The Huskers lost Illinois. You know, it's, it's just kind of a sad Monday morning over here at the Searles household. My phone quit out on me, so I'm phoneless. You know, my life's kind of in shambles right now, Jessica. Well, he's Jeremiah Searles. I'm Jessica Cootie. And, um, hey, are you, is trick-or-treating tonight with the kiddos, or did that already happen? No, tonight. Yeah, okay. for sure tonight. We'll dress up. Oliver's a little rocket ship. Aileen's an alien. And then my wife and I are going to be NASA. I'll wear the little headphones and the little ground control action. And then I'll steal all of his Reese's peanut butter cups. Oliver is getting to the point where it's like he understands what's going on. Right? Yeah, for sure. It, but like, it's funny. I asked him, I go, hey, Oliver, like, when you, go up to the, when you go up to the houses, what do you say tonight? And he goes, excuse me, sir. I was like, no, 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 it's trick or treat. I go, it's trick or treat. So like, I appreciate the manners and like, I'm glad we're working on that, but we'll roll with trick or treat tonight. So hopefully he's got it down in here in about 12 hours. Yeah, we're, we're going to practice. You know, reps make, reps make it perfect. So we'll just keep hammering home on that. Oh, I love it. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, um, man, another tough one, and it just, um, gosh, it felt like the offense was starting to figure out some things and to really get going. I mean, at one point, right before Casey goes down, Coach Whipple had come over and had, had talked to the offense, and, hey, they can't cover all of you guys, meaning Alante Brown, Trey Palmer, Travis Volklick. They had started to figure some things out, and then Casey goes down, but, oh, man, you just, God, was right there, and, and the defense came out, was playing well, and just the wheels just came off. Yeah, I mean, the easy thing to say is once Casey, once Casey got hurt, the game plan completely shifted on its head. You know, and I think Casey did a really nice job early in the game of spreading the ball around because we talked about it last week. Illinois was going to make it hard for Trey Palmer to get the football. You know, they're not dumb. Brett Bielma knows how to make it work. If you have an offense that's built around two players, in my opinion, which is Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer, you're going to try and eliminate one of those players. And the easier player to eliminate besides the quarterback is the wide receiver. You know, so you saw, okay, they eliminated Trey early, so Casey was able to go to his other options. You saw the long touchdown to Vokalek. You saw Alante Brown. Like, again, you saw the ball getting spread, but once he got hurt, you can tell, like, the other two quarterbacks, Chuba and Logan, are not in the same era of uh, area that Casey is with the way they can throw the ball and spread the ball. And the whole offense just never clicked from that point on. Yeah, I mean, and even Casey, too, I think probably feels like he left some plays on the field, too, even before he went down. Uh, a couple of missed, uh, had a couple of missed throws that guys were open on. But what's crazy is, and I, I uh, reported this on the broadcast, is um, there was one of the ones, and I can't remember which one it was, but... Um, you know, we were talking about, or well, Greg and um, Damon were talking about how Casey missed it, but Mickey came over and was yelling at the wide receivers. He wanted them to be able to to shake off the defenders a little bit, and so again, just felt like they were needed a minute to settle in and get going, and they were settling in right as Casey goes down. So just uh, really frustrating. But what did you see in terms of the defense trying to take out Trey Palmer in in that regard? You thought maybe that could be the possibility. 
Yeah, you know, and I know what you're talking about. Travis Vogelak was wide open on a slant across the middle on third down on Casey's first interception. Um, and they showed the replay, and it's just like, man, you can't miss that one. But, you know, you never know as far as where he was supposed to go with the ball with the scheme and all those things. And so that's, again, yeah. I mean, the two interceptions by Casey hurt, obviously, the one where he got thrown and the ball went up like a punt. It's hard to, hard to say it's his fault. But, you know, the thing they did is they played tight coverage on Trey Palmer, and then at times they blitzed, which meant they have to get the ball out of their hands quick by Casey Thompson. And the other times they bracketed coverage and only rushed four. You know, I think what they did up front and when Casey got hers, they ran a really nice line game on the defensive line. They went spike, spike, and brought the D end all the way around to the backside A gap, and we couldn't three-way bump it through, which is a hard thing to do anyways. And... He came right up the gut and absolutely smoked Casey, you know. So I think it was a little bit of getting Casey uncomfortable and trying to get him to rush his throws a little bit, um, but also just making sure you just stuck in Trey Palmer's hip, you know. I think the staying in his hip, they have a safety over the top of him deep and just making sure that they were going to make someone else beat them. And to your point, people were, but once Casey went out, I mean, Chuba really struggled. I mean, Logan Smothers, as we know, is still developing as a passer. You know, when you have a pass-heavy offense, which we have, and you have backup quarterbacks that aren't as confident with the football, it's really hard to just completely pivot and be like, well, now we're a run-first offense. Like, it just doesn't work like that, where you just can pivot completely in the middle of a game, your entire game plan you practiced all week. I thought the offensive line played better. Eh, better. No. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you're watching these quarterbacks get hit and run and flush out of the pocket. It's like, well, they're not getting killed. You know, like, so it's kind of like, okay, it's better, but the bar is still drastically low, in my opinion, for what needs to be done. Uh, you know, you look at our rushing yards, and that's the first thing that I always look at. You know, we didn't even have 100 yards rushing. I mean, Anthony Grant led us with 61 yards, and then the next guy's our quarterback. So, you know, you talk about our backup running back had minus four yards in Jacquez Yant. So that's just not good enough, in my opinion. I don't care if you only do get 12 or 14 at-bats, whatever it is. Like, you've got to rush the ball for more. You've got to be more physical in the run game. And I think that they're growing as a unit. You know, you're seeing guys starting to get more comfortable. I think Henry Lutovsky's playing a little bit better. You think Turner's playing a little bit better at left guard. But by this point in the season, they need to be better than they are. And we're going to be playing against some really good fronts here in the back part of our season as we head into November here. Um, you know, and those guys just have to keep getting better and keep developing and just keep working to be better every single day. Defense did step up and they played well, especially mm -hmm. after that first touchdown. I think it was something that they hadn't seen on film. And so they go to the sideline and you're seeing guys, okay, hey, if this happens again, this is what we're going to do. They made the adjustment and then they locked in. And then unfortunately, you know, again, we talked about um, Illinois playing keep away and how much they just dominate the time of possession. And so once again, the offense started having quick drives. That's when they started. Started racking up. Chase Brown started getting a lot of his yards, but I thought the defense came out and, and played really well there in that first half. Yeah, you know, I think they even played pretty well in the second half, too. You know, you only give up six points in the second half, and, you know, that's a pretty good thing against that offense, you know, but it's exactly right. Illinois plays the time of possession game. That's what Brett Bielma's offenses have always done from back when I remember playing him in 2009 or 2011, excuse me, with Russell Wilson and Monty Ball in Wisconsin. You know, that's what he does. And so to have a back like Chase Brown that you can just hand the ball to 34 times and he gets stronger as the game goes on, it's hard on a defense to just get leaned on that many times. I mean, even if those runs, and the thing I love about the Illinois offense and really even Minnesota's offense, which we'll get into, is just the patience and the commitment to the run that those offenses have. You know, you're watching it in the first and second half, first quarter where our defense is getting some penetration and Luke Reimers is slicing in there and making tackles and Ty Robinson's doing big things and they just stay committed because then as it got to the second half, you're exactly right. Offense goes three and out, they're back right out there and then those three or four yards turn into six and eight and then those six and eight turns into 10 or 11, you know, and they just stayed super committed to the run. But I thought the guys rose to the challenge 
right off the bat. You know, that's a good football team. Illinois is a ranked football team. They're going to have a good chance to win the West. And we went toe-to-toe with them with as long as we could. You know, and eventually the complementary football piece comes in of offense helping defense, defense helping offense. And it just unfortunately in the second half, our offense just could not help the defense out of getting them rest or scoring points when they gave them an opportunity like the interception in the red zone. Valentino's has been a Nebraska tradition since 1957. Get the big red double jumbo deal. Two one-topping jumbo pizzas for only $18.79 each. Okay, so no word yet on Casey Thompson if he'll be able to go this week or not. But if he's not, what can this offense do to try to generate something um, without him out there? You know, the biggest thing this week is you cannot turn the ball over quickly. Those quick drives we just talked about, it's the death against Minnesota. You know, I watched Minnesota's opening drive this past week, and it took 11 minutes. Wow. You know, they went all the way down. The first quarter was over from the start. 24 minutes of actual time was as long as the first quarter took. There was two drives. They had one, and then Rutgers had one, Minnesota had one. You know, this offense is built to be boring. It's built to win on first and second down. So our offense has to control the clock better than it has. And, you know, that goes back to, okay, if Casey's not going, maybe we can't shift our whole philosophy. But this week we put a hyper focus on the run game. You know, and Logan Smothers, we have a small sample size of him from last year against Iowa. He could run the ball. You know, so having packages where Logan's in there running the football, relying on Anthony Grant, having some two-back packages with Yant and Grant, or hopefully getting Gabe back if he's healthy. You know, there's, we've got to get back to the run game to control some of the clock here as we start going against teams that have these high-powered offenses that want to, they want to control the clock. We've got to find a way to put that back on our side. Uh, so, you know, I want to lean heavy on the run game again this week and then take the passes when they're there and take the shot plays when they're there. But I think with the, the performance we saw from Chubba Purdy and with the history and the performance we've seen from Logan Smothers throwing the ball, this cannot be a pass-first offense going into Saturday. All right, Mo Ibrahim, I know you've been a big fan of Huge his. Fan. Um, there's some good running backs in this league. Where does he rank and stack up in your mind when you talk about Chase Brown, um, some of the other guys in this league? When he's healthy, he's the best back in the league. You know, he's running through an ankle injury right now, and he's still probably up there in consideration for the best back in the league. You know, his patience, his ability, the thing he doesn't have is that burst, second gear, drop the trailer and go. You know, but the thing that he does have is he just always falls forward for yards, and he is as patient as they come as a runner. He will sit behind that big offensive line that Minnesota has and just wait and wait and wait. And then his acceleration is second to none. His top end speed's lower, but his acceleration when he puts that foot in the ground and goes is fantastic. And he finishes runs physically. You know, we, I, I compare him a lot to Anthony Grant and how he finishes runs, but he's just more polished of an overall runner. Uh, you know, so he's definitely a guy that we're going to have our hands full with, especially down our uh, inside backer. And we're having Ernest out there. Houseman, who's still a young pup making some starts, you know, him and Reimer are going to have long days chasing down 24. You mentioned it might be rinse and repeat. So what are the similarities and differences between Minnesota and Illinois in terms of offensively? Yeah, you know, they're very, very similar. I think that the thing that, um, that Minnesota does so well and has done so well forever is their execution of the RPO. You know, they do a fantastic job with that run pass option. Tanner Morgan's been a quarterback there since Vietnam, it seems like. So he's <laughs> been there forever, you know, but he's able to just go out there and execute that. And the thing they do also, they take up all 40 seconds. If they got 40 seconds on the play clock, they're snapping it at 39 and a half. You know, they love to eat up everything so that the defense has to start showing their hand and has to start being, okay, where are we going to be lined up so that he can decide, am I handing the ball to Mo Ibrahim on the outside zone? Am I pulling it and throwing the quick slant to Brevin Spanford, their tight end on the inside? You know, since they've lost Chris Ottman Bell on the outside, 
Minnesota hasn't been quite as explosive down the field, you know, but a lot has been focused on their big tight end. He looks a lot like Austin Allen, in my opinion, you know, big, tall, lanky guy. Um, you know, but they've run a ton of RPOs to him over the middle. He's a six foot seven, 270-pound tight end. That's a guy we're going to have to absolutely watch out for because the entire offense is ran through 24 and Brevin Spanford. What about their defense? What have you seen out of their defense? You know, they're, they're not as super stellar. Um, you know, they're extremely sound. You know, they don't have a guy that I would say considered, like, they don't have an Obey Mafia like they did last year who's a second-round pick at a pass rusher. You know, they have a guy named Marcus Rush, number eight, who's a good guy. He's a, a high-effort guy. He's just going to run around the field, you know, but that's all that defense is, is high-effort, high like high-intensity, running everywhere. You see 11 hats running the ball every single play, and they just kind of make you play the long game. You know, they have so much faith in their offense that when they give them the ball, that they're going to be able to march it as long as they can, that they just kind of let you go down the field and do your thing, and it's a bit of a bend-don't-break defense. But ultimately, they've done very, very well at this year of just stopping the run and forcing guys to throw the ball. And so I think it's because all they do is practice against the run all spring and all fall camp. You know, so I think that they're just an extremely sound defense. They don't do anything super flashy, and they just want to line up in base defense and just let their guys play in the scheme. All right, give us some players to watch. Whoever plays quarterback, I guess, on offense, you know, that's, uh -huh. that's one of those where it's like, okay, who's going to come out there? I would venture to say it's not going to be a one-quarterback offense this week. You know, I think it's going to be a Logan Smothers. It's going to be a Chubba Purdy. It's going to be, I mean, who knows? You, you're going to see some special things. I don't think if Casey can't play, um, it's just going to be, a, well, this is the guy, and we're just rolling with it. Um, you know, on defense, a guy that's been really intriguing to me and a guy that I think is continuing to have a big year is Isaac Gifford. Mm -hmm. um, I think that he's a guy that's playing at a very high level, and he's going to be one of those guys that's matched up on Brevin Spanford, like I just talked about. You know, can he be that JoJo Doman type that plays that middle road of the make him hand it, make him throw it, and then make him guess wrong and maybe steal an interception or steal a tackle for a loss? You know, I think he's, he could be an X factor in this game with how he plays the RPO and the way he defends it. So all eyes will be on him. But I'll tell you, what, he's a young, exciting defender that I'm having a lot of fun watching this year. I think he's a guy, too, that Bill Bush is relying on to communicate getting guys in spots, too. Like, he, he's kind of been a voice out there, especially without Nick Henrich. Mm -hmm. I think he does a really good job of seeing what the offense is doing and then making sure that guys are in their right spots. Yeah, I would completely agree with you. You know, he looks like a field general out there, and to see him grow and continuing to grow is exciting because, man, ha having a guy like JoJo was last year where he was kind of the eraser of the defense, right? If things went crazy, you saw 13 flashing and making a play. You know, I'm starting to see Gifford make some of those plays. He's very sound in his tackling um, for some of the, like, the stuff that we've seen this year of the poor tackling. I think he's done a nice job of it. So he's a guy that I think is primed to have a big game this week, and him and Reimer are going to have to have huge games. All right, uh, keys for a Husker victory. Yeah, you know, I think the first key, and I'm going to say it because we were so poor at it last week, is you cannot turn the ball over with against this team. You know, four turnovers, your odds of winning basically go to zero. And especially against a team like Minnesota that's just going to continually milk the clock. And if you let them steal a possession of you, you might only get three possessions in the first half. You know, that's just how this team operates. Um, you know, so that's one key. The second key on defense, you have to be great on first and second down. This Minnesota offense loves operating in front of the chains. They love living in second and five and third and three. You know, if you can beat them on first down and get them into second and long and create a third and long, that's where because they don't have Chris Ottman Bell and Tanner Morgan doesn't love standing in the pocket and just being a true pocket passer, when you force them in those obvious passing situations, it's really a good thing for our defense, you know. And then 
up front. Uh, our third key, I'm just going to say it again, is just finding a way to get after this uh, Minnesota offensive line from our defensive line standpoint. You know, they have John Michael Schmitz, who's arguably the best center in the entire college football. They brought in a bunch of transfers. Their left right tackles from Notre Dame, their right guards from Michigan, their left tackles a um, uh, sophomore, you know, so this kind of was like a mismatched offensive line, and they've done a fantastic job of being able to just create holes in the run game. Guys like Ty Robinson, guys like Colton Feast, those guys have to find a way to disrupt on this offensive line. And those kind of, my keys kind of go hand in hand there of winning on first down and being disruptive. But the games that Minnesota's had the most success is when this offensive line has just been rolling and creating new lines of scrimmage on the other side of the ball. Um, you know, so those are things that up front, that matchup between the Minnesota offensive line and the Husker defensive line is going to be the one that will tell the difference in this game. All right, hottest debate of the year on this day best halloween candy oh, reese's peanut butter cups 100 percent. just the There's regular no... or the peanut like the pumpkin ones no pumpkin ones are trash oh just that's the BS. regular the regular <laughs> ones the best reese's are the tree reese's at yes Christmas time. yes and the, the hearts on reese's. valentine's day but i like the pumpkins too the pumpkins are trash the why pumpkins are trash. they're There's the same enough. as There's not enough peanut butter in them There's... nope Plenty they, of jip you, they jip you on the peanut butter, 100%. I, I highly disagree. That is Okay, false. worst Halloween candy. Um, probably like an Almond Joy. Mm, I'm going to say caramel corn or like the candy corn. Candy people corn? People hand out like the bags of the candy corn. Like those people are just the worst. I like if you mix the candy corn with like peanuts and M&Ms. Like my mom does that like mixture. Mm. But if it's just by themselves, I'm not a fan of candy corn either. Mm, that's yeah. fair. Do you that's like the fair. fruity stuff? I like chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate, Snickers, <laughs> Twix. I mean, anything that's bite-sized and chocolate is going to get devoured in this house over the next three days. How would Oliver answer this debate? Anything that we put in front of him. He, he, had, <laughs> he, grabbed, he grabbed fruit leather at Trader Joe's yesterday, and he was like, candy. I was like, yeah, sure, and he hammered it. So anything that we tell him is candy is candy. It's an offensive line in the make, a lineman in the oh. making right there. For sure. The Verman, <laughs> the Verman is going to be the commit of 2032. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, have a happy Halloween and enjoy trick-or-treating. And excuse me, sir, with uh, the kiddos. Absolutely. And I'll be in stadium next week. I'm bringing Oliver to his first game for Minnesota. So I'll be in stadium. I'll have to come run into you guys. First unofficial visit. Yes, first unofficial <laughs> visit. So don't, don't ding us. Don't ding us, I promise. <laughs> All right. For Jeremiah Searles, I'm Jessica Cootie. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Sideline Slice, brought to you by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Go Big Red. Valentino's, a slice of home you just can't get anywhere else. What started with a treasured family recipe in Lincoln, Nebraska, has become a classic Italian tradition for 65 years.